Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, join Gabriel and his food hero guests on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so happy to have Brooke Conroy Bass of Chocolate and Marrow joining me on the show. Today, we're celebrating rich, decadent, and indulgent food. On Chocolate and Marrow, Brooke uses local and seasonal ingredients to create dishes inspired from growing up in New Orleans and from her current life in Portland in the Pacific Northwest. Thank you so much for being here today, Brooke. Of course. Thank you for having me. No, it's my pleasure to have you. Now, Brooke, you're currently pursuing a PhD in sociology, something that's completely different than what you write about on your blog. Where did you get the idea and time to start Chocolate and Marrow? So the idea originated, you know, I was doing a lot of research and a lot of scientific analysis for my dissertation, and it just got a little too much. I just felt like there was this imbalance kind of in my life. And so while I'm thinking about all of that, I went to Italy with my grandmother, actually, who loves to cook. And we did this amazing, you know, cooking culinary experience at an agriturismo. And I just found myself being so happy and just really in my element. And that's really how I kind of realized I need to incorporate food in a more creative way throughout my life more than just like cooking in the home. So that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to start a blog. Finding the time for it is a totally different matter. You know, it's more of a weekend thing. I just spend my Saturdays always cooking and photographing. And then, you know, at night, I'll do the recipe development and research and things like that. Now, before you went to Italy, did you have an interest in cooking and food already? Or did this sort of evolve when you were there? Yeah, no, I absolutely had an interest. I've loved cooking ever since I can remember. Actually, my very first memory of love, like thinking about cooking and doing anything, I was like probably five years old. And I don't even, you know, know how I could write at the time. But I remember standing by my grandmother's side and she was saying, you know, she was cooking catfish, frying catfish. And I remember saying to her, I really want to learn how to do that so that I can go home and like cook for my family. I don't know what I was thinking at the age of five. They probably wouldn't let me turn on a burner at that age. And so she got me like a crayon and a piece of loose leaf paper. I was like, well, here, write down the recipe as I cook. And that way you can have it for yourself. And so I, I did. And, and we actually still have that piece of paper that I wrote it on, which is really fun to pull out and look at sometimes. Right. Wow. Now, it definitely sounds like your grandmother was a huge influence in your cooking and your passion for food. Would you consider her your food hero? And do you get a chance to cook for her when you're together? She is one of my food heroes for certain. I have a number of them, but she's certainly the one that I think kind of piqued my interest in cooking. She worked on a television show in the 80s and 90s called Great Chefs. And so She's always loved food. And even today, like when, you know, she was in town visiting for Thanksgiving and we sat and chatted in my kitchen for about eight hours the day after Thanksgiving while I whipped up some gumbo and some French bread. And it's just kind of one of those things that's really, really fun to do together. Right. Now, it sounds like from what you've been telling me, you've been in the kitchen since a very young age and you just whipped things up. Would you say that cooking is something that comes quite naturally to you? In some ways. I think cooking is one of those things that's kind of trial and error. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with how ingredients interact with one another, how to balance flavors out and get really nice round dishes. But I certainly have my fair share of failures, usually in the baking sphere. I'm not a great baker by any means. And so I've had a lot of failed attempts with cakes and moments where I curse a lot in the kitchen. And my husband's like, do you even enjoy this? You're cursing so much. I'm like, no, it's great. It's great. I've got to figure it out. 
<laughs> right. No, I think it's super cool that on Chocolate and Marrow, you really celebrate rich and decadent food. Do you feel that indulgent food sometimes gets a bad rap, especially today when it's really a lot about healthy eating and cooking healthfully? I'm going to say yes and no. I think no, because, you know, I think the more we learn about the way our bodies work and interact with food, we learn that food is medicine. But I don't think that medicine necessarily has to be just for the body. It can be for the soul, too. And and so in some ways, I do feel like rich foods and decadent foods are getting a bad rap. And that's kind of why I, you know, have found myself cooking the more, the more hearty dishes right on my blog. But you know, at the same time, I do think life is all about balance. And for me personally, I eat, you know, salads and smoothies 80% of the time. And then the other 20% is spent with a lot of beer and a lot of cake and a lot of, you know, those rich foods that you see on my blog. Yeah. Right. I think it really is about balance too. And with the rich and indulgent stuff, it's about portion size and portion control too sometimes. So it's just a balance, right? Right. If you've got a whole plate of fried chicken, you don't have to eat the whole plate. One piece will suffice. Right. You might want to eat the whole plate, but you know, just hold back. (laughs) Now you grew up in New Orleans. Can you describe the food culture there? Absolutely. So the food culture in New Orleans is really synonymous with the party culture. We cook food that can feed, you know, 30 people and be a big part of a celebration. And that's kind of how we do things down there. It's like you can't have a party without tons of food and you can't have tons of food without a party. So that really informs, I think, food culture there. And, you know, there's also some pieces of New Orleans cuisine that are kind of staples and ways of cooking and ingredients that we always use. So yeah, that's definitely how I think of it, at least. Awesome. Now, can you explain to me and anyone who's not familiar with it, what Cajun food is and what it means to you? Yeah, so I mean, Cajun food... I think really like anywhere else around the world, right? We work with the ingredients that we have available to us. And that's kind of what informs different cuisines. And so with Cajun cuisine, it's really working with what was available on the land, which is there's a lot of rice. So you see a lot of like rice and beans and things like that. But also there's this, you know, abundance of seafood. So things like oysters and crawfish and shrimp and catfish. And that, you know, pokes itself into a lot of the food that we prepare. For me, Cajun cuisine, though, is just like eating home. I mean, I probably cook at least one or two Cajun dishes just for dinner for my husband and I each week. And it's something that always makes me feel comfortable and at home in my kitchen. I just don't even have to think about it. It just kind of, you know, happens. Right. Now, what is a dish that locals in New Orleans love that visitors would have no idea about? (laughs) What a fun question. You know, that's a great question, actually, because people love their king cakes and their beignets. And they're po' boys and things like that. But most people don't know about our festival foods. So we've got, you know how most people have like spring, summer, fall, and winter as their four seasons. Well, in New Orleans, we don't have those seasons. We've got Mardi Gras. We've got festival season, crawfish season, and saint season. But during festival season, right, everyone has probably heard of Jazz Fest. And this bread actually, that's really popular. It's called crawfish bread. And it's amazing. It's this two kind of flatbreads sandwiched around this melty cheese with crawfish and olives and all these spices. And it's just one of these foods that I think if you're ever able to go to New Orleans at the end of April or early May for Jazz Fest, you cannot miss the crawfish bread because it's absolutely amazing. And actually, I may be doing that on the blog at some point soon. So stay tuned. Oh, cool. You totally should. Because like, is this dish only available during that time? Or is it available elsewhere at other times? It's unique to Jazz Fest. I haven't seen it around town at other times, so I don't think you can find it. But perhaps there's someone out there who's, you know, making it on the streets for people, but I haven't seen it yet. Okay, cool. Now, 
I don't think I've ever made a Cajun dish before. Are there some key ingredients in all Cajun dishes? Absolutely, yeah. So one key element, you know how the French have uh, mirepoix, right? Which is onions and carrots and celery. Well, in Cajun food, we have the holy trinity is what we call it. And that is basically like a mirepoix, but sub out the carrots and put in bell peppers. And so that kind of gives it that spicy kick that New Orleans food is really well known for. And I think also, you know, New Orleans food is known for being fried. So, I mean, I won't say fry anything, but something in like a nice cornmeal batter with just a little squeeze of lemon is probably a real classic New Orleans food. Perfect. Now, what's a simple dish for a home cook who's trying to make something traditionally Cajun for the very first time? I think that probably a really great dish to start with would be a gumbo. And I know that sounds intimidating because, you know, everyone hears gumbo and they're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. But it's really basic. It just involves a roux and a stock and some kind of protein like chicken or turkey or seafood even. And then the Holy Trinity sauteed with some spices and a bay leaf. And then you throw it all together in a pot and just let it simmer. And it's pretty much heavenly. I think it's a great way to start introducing yourself to like Cajun technique and also flavors. So Brooke, are there some sort of Cajun spices that we should familiarize ourselves with? Absolutely. I think some of the best Cajun spices are actually just these blends of bay leaves and salt and paprika and things like that. I mean, you can buy them pre-made and pre-mixed and whatnot. And so probably the staple is Tony Shasheries and almost any Cajun cook is going to have that in their kitchen. Are there some good resources online or books for someone wanting to learn more about Cajun food and cooking? Absolutely. So one of my favorite cookbooks is actually called Cooking Up a Storm. And that is a book that came out after Hurricane Katrina, because as you can probably imagine, when Hurricane Katrina hit, one of the things that people lost that they loved the most is their cookbooks, right? You start a collection of recipes from newspapers and magazines and things like that. And when people lost their homes, the cookbooks went with it. And so Cooking Up a Storm came out. It's produced or created by two of the writers at the Times-Picayune, which is the local newspaper there. And they actually found all these old recipes that had been published in the Times-Picayune and that readers were writing in and inquiring about saying, you know, I lost my recipe books and I really want to get this recipe or that recipe. And so they published a collection of readers' most requested recipes. And I think that's just a really great book for so many reasons. And then as far as blogs where you can learn about it, I actually just recently discovered a blog called Acadiana Table. And I have absolutely fallen in love. I mean, they have so many phenomenal Cajun recipes, just really authentic. And I just, I love the way that they do Cajun food. So that's one I would, I've been turning to myself, especially. Perfect. Now, Brooke, you now live in Portland, Oregon. Has this changed the way you cook and the types of foods that you enjoy? Absolutely. Yeah, a lot, actually. I think living in Portland has made me realize how much more important or how important it is to rely on local and seasonal ingredients. This is such a great place for that because it's a place filled with just, you know, bounty of fresh produce. And I actually, last year, I started my own backyard garden and had just two raised beds. And I thought I was going to fail miserably because I've never been able to grow anything in my life. And they were just overflowing with tomatoes and onions and broccoli. And it was really amazing. I think also the chefs here are really awesome and inventive and they highlight the importance of incorporating a bright element in food. And so I've been trying to do that a little bit more with my cooking just to sort of round it out. So like, you know, a little bit of lemon zest or orange zest or a dash of vinegar or something can really brighten up a dish. So that's something that I'm certainly learning from the local chefs around here. Awesome. Now, here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dinner dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. 
Can you talk about a dish that is special to you and maybe the story behind the dish? So probably the most special dish to me is just a classic turkey and andouille gumbo. And actually, so my husband, now husband, but then boyfriend about 12 years ago, gave my mom a cookbook that was all about gumbo. And one of the recipes was for this turkey andouille gumbo. And so after Thanksgiving, you know, we had a ton of turkey left over. Who doesn't? And so we took that turkey, we made the gumbo, and it just kind of became a thing that we do. Every Friday after Thanksgiving now, we will take our turkey, we'll make our gumbo, and it's kind of a nice balance with Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving's always crazy and hectic and everyone's so hyped up. And so for us, that Friday has become this more leisurely kind of use the scraps that we have left over and just kind of enjoy still being with family, but in a much calmer sort of environment. So that's probably one of my favorite days out of the whole year, actually, for cooking. Cool. Oh, and it's also something different than the traditional turkey sandwiches, I guess. I know, right? It's totally different. It's a brand new thing. And, and I've actually never posted it on the blog because that recipe is so near and dear to my heart. I think I want it to be so perfect when I do post it. So I didn't do it this year. I kept waiting and waiting. And then, you know, Thanksgiving came and went. And I was like, well, I guess I'll have to do it, you know, in 2015. It'll come out. <laughs> Right, right. We'll wait for it and we'll look for it in November, I guess. Now, let's say you were to make this gumbo and you could invite any three famous people over for this dish. Who would you invite? Is my husband there at dinner or is it just me? Oh, well, let's say that he's in the background. (laughs) Well, either way, I would probably invite my three favorite chef crushes, which is Anthony Bourdain, John Besh, and Donald Link. And if my husband's there, he will just have to watch me flirt like crazy with those three because I love their food and there's nothing hotter than, you know, someone who knows how to cook, I think. Perfect. Now, let's say you were to do dinner and a movie with the gumbo. What movie would pair best with your gumbo? I think because I normally make this gumbo the day after Thanksgiving, which to me means like, okay, well, that's Christmas time now. We can start celebrating and like watching Christmas movies. I would probably have to choose one of my favorite Christmas movies, which sounds totally crazy, but... Um, I really love White Christmas with Bing Crosby, and it's just one of those classic movies that I turn to every single year. So I'd probably throw that out in the background while I was making the roux and putting everything together. Awesome. And the chefs would be watching it. Awesome. (laughs) Now, Brooke, after a rough day, what is your ultimate comfort food? Probably a big old bowl of pasta. I know carbs are bad and yada yada, but if I've had a rough day, if I can get some fresh vegetables and some great cheese... Um, and some fresh pasta going. It's just, to me, it's so comforting and soulful and healing. So that's really what I turn to on those days. Perfect. Now, I call the next part of the Dinner Special podcast the pressure cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? The only cooking show that I watch is actually Top Chef. And I was really stoked this year because there were two Portland chefs on it. So it was a really fun season to watch. Right, right. Now, number two, what are some food blogs or websites that we have to know about? Okay, so I'm a sucker for writing, good writing on blogs. And so my favorites would probably be Cynthia of Two Red Bulls, who has really short but fun, engaging posts. Erica of Southern Souffle, who... I think her words are just super soulful and inspiring, and I just really connect with her over what she usually writes. And then Beth of Local Milk, who is known for her photography, but her writing is just as beautiful and eloquent. So I would definitely recommend checking those bloggers out. Great. Now, number three, who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, or Facebook that make you happy? To be honest, I am not a huge Facebook or Pinterest person, but I am addicted to Instagram 
And so some people that make me happy, let's see. So I would say Martine Cooks is the handle and she's amazing. She lives in New Orleans. She's a photographer and just posts the most beautiful photos with inspiring captions of things like oysters and crawfish, which I can't get enough of. And then probably some of my local chefs like Ian Wilson of Fenrir posts just really beautiful food all the time. That's super artistic. And Ryan Roadhouse of Notoguro, who does just these most amazing Japanese fire dishes. And I love looking at the crazy ingredients he gets flown in. Cool. Now, number four, what is the most unusual or treasured item you have in your kitchen? I don't think I have a bunch of unusual things, but I do love my cast iron skillets. Plural, I have way too many of them, but they are like my little babies. Awesome. Number five, name one ingredient you used to dislike, but now you love. Oh, gosh, I have to say clams. I used to hate them. And then I met a friend who actually we met on Instagram, which is a whole different long story. But I told her I hated clams. And she convinced me to try making them with her. And so I did. And they were absolutely phenomenal. So now I'm addicted. Cool. Now, number six, what are a few cookbooks that make your life better? I absolutely adore the Flavor Bible when I'm looking to create new recipes and looking for like inspiration on what pairs well with what. And then I think Sean Brock's Heritage, I'm really crushing on hard right now. It's really inspiring me to learn more about the Southern foodways that I know and love, but just teaching me things that I didn't know about them before. So it's a great book. Perfect. And there's also the one that you mentioned earlier from the newspaper in New Orleans. Yeah, Cooking Up a Storm, definitely. Perfect. Now, number seven, what song or album just makes you want to cook? So I can't really think of a song or an album. I'm more of a Pandora person. So I have my Pandora stations. And I'd say my favorite ones are probably a Louis Armstrong radio, which I use on like, you know, mornings if I'm baking or something. Milky Chance, which I use to cook with during the week, just like on a random weeknight or something. And then Bob Marley is my go-to for the weekends. He just kind of gets me, you know, feeling loose and inspired in the kitchen. So Awesome. Well, congratulations, Brooke. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. <laughs> Brooke, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. You're all over social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted with what you're up to? Probably Instagram. I usually post like at least once a day, I think. And it's either recipe testing or ingredients that are inspiring me or things that are updating my blog. So I would love for people to check out Instagram and see you on there. Perfect. And the website, of course, is chocolateandmarrow.com. Mm-hmm, that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, Brooke. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Gabriel. It was great to talk. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits. So let's get cooking. Mm-hmm.